0: Paul uh, the Apostle, in chapter 1 of Ephesians, from verse 11 to 14. <clears throat> uh, Paul addressing the Ephesian church, and uh, the Ephesian church was, um, you know, um, it was sort of foreign to Israel. They were not Israelites, there were all sorts of other nationalities in that church. And Paul, speaking to them, said, "...in him we were also chosen." Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance— until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now, Paul's telling all of the rest of us who are not a part of Israel, who are not Israelites and not part of the Jewish people, that Christ's salvation came to all of us. Yes, Israel were the first fruits because they had a special place in God's heart and Jesus came from amongst them according to God's ordination. So, he said, Now, you also have been included in Christ. You were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. That is the word of truth, the gospel about our salvation. Now, there is a lot of nonsense that is being touted out at the moment. Well, Started, <clears throat> it's been around for a while, I suppose, always will be because even in the churches that the apostles led and founded, they had problems with people who came in with all kinds of um heresy and all kinds of demonic doctrines, the doctrine of demons, and you know, telling people a whole load of nonsense, you know, teaching the people what ought not be taught, just as we have today. And um, Paul said, You were, um, Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guarantee in our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Now the sole purpose of man, any any true Bible teacher will tell you, or any true servant of God will tell you, that the sole purpose of man is to bring glory to God. Because when God created the earth and everything in it, the heavens, the cosmic world, everything for us to enjoy. And created man, saying, enjoy the works of my hands. we were supposed to enjoy the works of God's hands and bring him glory. But of course, the agenda changed. Because Eve got seduced by the devil into, into sinning against God. Her sense of lust was aroused. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You will be like God if you do what God has told you not to do. And she saw that the fruit of this tree was desirable to the eyes and good for food. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, she fell woefully. She fell woefully before God. Fall from a position of grace, really. And um, Adam did the same because he wasn't any wiser. And, um, and so mankind, humankind have continued down that downward spiral ever since then. Now, God being compassionate, do not forget, let us never forget, because people seem to forget that God has the the, the sovereignty over over the heavens and the earth. And God can choose whatever he so desires to do, and there will be nothing anyone can do about it. All the politically correct leaders we have in the world, there'll be nothing they can do. They can't even do anything about the hurricanes. They can't even do anything about strong winds that come. They can't even do anything about earthquakes. They will not be able to do a thing when God decides to judge this world. And he can do so whenever he wants. And he has told us that day is going to come anyway, when Christ returns to take his own out of this world first. And then there will be the judgment And that is when all of Satan's works will be overturned, and and that will be the end of Satan's reign. But until such a time, until such a time, we are supposed to live for God. Now, when um, Adam and Eve, uh, when they sinned against God, now sin is a very deadly thing, because sin will always lead to death. The wages of sin is death. The Word of God makes it clear. The wages of sin is death, unless you find forgiveness in Christ. But the trouble is this, where people get it wrong. You think it's enough to just, you know, say, Christ has forgiven me, so I claim my forgiveness, and and then you carry on in the same foolishness. It doesn't work that way. There cannot be forgiveness without repentance. You need to have repented of it. You need to have known, to have come to the realization that what you did was an offense against God, and as such, must be prepared to do it no more. And that is when you're repentant, and that is when you forgiveness, you receive forgiveness. Because you acted in ignorance, because you let your, you let your flesh overtake you, because you acted in selfishness. But um, people seem to think it's enough. I mean, look at the Catholic Church. It was the greatest apostasy going on, I imagine. You go to some little guy in a cage somewhere and um, go and um, confess your sins to him. Another human being like yourself. And he tells you your sins have been absolved. And he tells you some penance to go and pay. I don't know where on earth they got that authority from because it's not from heaven. Only the Lord Jesus Christ can forgive sins. Then you go to this guy. And what's going on? It's been discovered that this same guy sitting in the cage forgiving people's sins are the same ones who sexually molest the choir boys. I mean, what's going on? People need to open their eyes. There is a severe, I keep saying it, there is a severe lack of discernment in the world today, in what is practiced as Christianity today. People seem to, well, the majority, quite honestly, of people seem to be following blindly, don't even understand what Christianity is all about. It is not a social club, one. It is not a religious practice, two. No, it is a relationship with the Creator. A relationship facilitated through the Son of God. God the Son is not any less than God. He is co-equal with God. Because he has taken your sins. He has looked at you and decided, I shall save you and I shall redeem redeem you. I will forgive your sins. I will take your sins upon myself. But now, in exchange for that, is the life of righteousness. Because you must fulfill the purpose for which you were created in the first place. And that is to bring glory to God. As uh, As is written in Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Before the creation of man, God had already marked out what we were supposed to do. Bring him glory. It's so simple. And it's not like being in bondage or stifling, as people tend to think. Because a lot of people think, I don't want to be Christian, it's full of rules and regulations. No, it's not. And quite honestly, yes, God has got his precepts, he's got his commands. But believe me, they are so fantastic to obey. They are so wonderful. They are peace-giving, they are joy-giving, and you know, they, they give you peace within you. And most importantly, peace with God. Many Christians do not have peace with God. I mean, I always make a distinction, I can say, between Christians and believers. Christians uh, go for anyone, every member of the visible and invisible church, everyone who, you know, shows up in church. Some don't even bother, but they reckon they've inherited Catholicism or Church of England or something from their forefathers. Remember, my grandmother was C of E, and that makes them Christian. That's all and sundry, majority of uh, of whom are unsaved anyway but believers are those who truly believe because we have received the gift of saving faith. Now saving faith is a salvation from Christ and as a result of receiving that gift Christ seals us as we read in Ephesians 1. We we, we we get we are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to, to the disciples before he left the world. And he has delivered on that promise. So in every believer is the Holy Spirit. And his deposit is guaranteed our inheritance. Is the deposit guaranteed our inheritance until the day we see Christ face to face. So we are not in doubt of our salvation. We know we are saved. We know that no matter what happens around us, or in the world we know it is well with our souls we know it is well with our souls because our salvation is assured that's why horatio g sparford who sang that who wrote that song was able to, to 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 write it he went through hell on earth lost everything he had his entire family was left with his wife only lost five children lost all his wealth lost his business lost everything But he was able to sing. It is well. It is well with my soul, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my my feeble estate and has given his soul for mine. So he was so pleased. He knew no matter what he wasn't exactly dancing around, you know, on account of having faced all that tragedy. But he knew that it didn't really matter what happened to him in the world. His soul was okay. Because that is what matters. That is all that counts. When we appreciate the saving faith that we have been blessed with, and believe me, it is a gift from God, we don't develop it. I had no idea what it was until the Lord gave me saving faith. I had no clue. I did not even know that I needed Christ so much. And now I cannot bear the thought of being without Christ for a second. It's inconceivable to me. And every time I think back at my crazy past I just say thank you, Lord, that I did not perish in that foolishness until you picked me up, because it would have been catastrophic. I tell you, I would, I, I had a first-class ticket to hell, definitely, and I would have received a, I would have had a front-row seat, I'm sure. But I thank God, because He ransomed me. He chose to. I didn't seek Him out. I wasn't born a Christian. I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I never knew what Christian values were. I had no clue what the Bible said. I had no idea. I was just a happy-go-lucky, if we can call it, member of the world, you know, filled with every kind of selfish ambition and wickedness like everybody else and greed and lust, wanting to own this, wanting to possess that, wanting to be this and be that that's exactly what it is. You know, the channels of temptation of Satan, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. You see all those things, and you ought to own them. You ought to have them. They should belong to you. You look at things, and you think, yes, this is beautiful. I ought to look like that. Do you know, people think they're in control. Makes me laugh when I look at the people of the world. Sadly, this now includes a lot of Christians who... um, Say I cannot give control of my. I. I. I'm not religious. I. I can't be a Christian. I can. I don't see why any God, if he's a loving God, as you say, should be. Should control my life. Fools, like they have control over their lives. They're fools because they got no control. Do you know what controls their lives? Or who? Satan. And the way he does it, he does it through the systems is put in place. This is what I was saying in my last teaching. Satan has put in place a sophisticated system. And the system has a hierarchy to it. He's put in place a, a, an ama- a very sophisticated, in- interesting system, but people don't know it. People just look at it as the way of the world. Yes, the way of the world is the way of Satan people look at it, that's the way the world is, I had a foolish radio presenter speaking the other day saying, oh, um, he was saying, it, it was an LBC news talk, I can't remember which one of them it was, and um, I was just driving and was listening because there's nothing else to do, Just I like to listen to what they have to say sometimes, and he was asking people about marriage, and he said, uh, is marriage a good thing? Now, he personally thought it was a good thing, he'd been married for 40 years, and um you know, because nowadays it looks like people are opting more and more for cohabiting, living together, having children and not getting married and all that. And he was saying he wanted people to phone in as to whether or not marriage is right or wrong. And you know what he said? He said, uh, if you're a religious person, please don't call in because... um you know, this has got nothing to do with religion. I, I I don't care what any any faith says. You know, because we're living in an increasingly secular world, so we want to leave religion out of it. I thought, at that point, I just switched off. I thought you're an idiot. You are nothing but an idiot. I mean, he thinks he's wise. He thought he was clever. He thought he was making sense, but he was dumb. This is exactly what Satan wants. People to forget that God exists. People to believe now that the world is in their control. The world is not much in their control. It is via the media that you decide what you're supposed to look like. Yes, you get all the TV adverts or the radio adverts telling you what you ought to look like, what you should be eating, what you should be drinking, what you should be wearing, what kind of house you should live in, what you should, what, what you should own, where you should put your money, and people think they're in control. Because one advert, and people are crowding in. People, you know, I mean, how many multi-millionaires and billionaires do we have in the world? Because they have dangled lovely looking things, or items, or objects, or fantastic sounding ideas ideas before the people and the people have gone for it and everybody's putting everything all their all into it just to make somebody else rich while they also trying to look like that or be like that or own those things you're not in control but a life that knows god is such a beautiful life it is a life of godliness with contentment yes we also have nice things too. we we live in the world but we are not a part of this world so it doesn't matter what's going on around us. It doesn't matter what turmoil there is. It doesn't matter what is happening to us personally. We know it is well with our souls. People, like I, was, like I said, mentioned earlier, people tend to forget that God once destroyed the earth and its inhabitants, saving only eight people. And then it started the uh, humanity all over again. People tend to forget that small thing. Do you know what? God is still the same. So this easy believism that is being touted about where people now come to, well, they say they come to Christ or I invited or I gave my life to Christ or invited whatever phrase you may choose to use. And then you come and you start telling Jesus what to do, what to go, what to give you, what he owes you. He owes you nothing. You owe him everything your every breath you owe to him. And so people who have true saving faith, believers, begin to live for Christ. It's a question of this. The matter is very simple. It's the mystery of godliness, the Bible calls it. You've come to the realization of your sinfulness and your need for salvation and forgiveness because you know that you're destined for judgment and death because you have walked apart from God, because you have not lived for God, because you have done nothing to bring glory to God in your past life, in your life. And so you come to Jesus. And you you know you're forgiven because he's forgiven you, because you've come to him in sincere repentance, like I said earlier, there has to be repentance. You cannot continue to live a worldly carnal life with foolish values and say so you belong you're a part of Christ. You're not. So we have a lot of people who think they're saved, but they're just they're simply deluded. They are not saved. Now, having been forgiven, which you believe by faith. You know now you've been saved because Jesus said He is giving you salvation. You shall you will not now die, but you live with me eternally. And you consider yourself, where you've been, what you've done, and Christ. And you weigh it against what Christ is saying that it's okay. I will no longer hold your sins against you. I will no longer judge you. You are going to abide with me eternally because you know what? I now impute my righteousness unto you before God the Creator. God, you are now a righteous person. Not because you can do any good works or because you did any or because you are able to. But I declare you righteous because I love you. Because I went to the cross for you. And so now, not just that. You're not just another person in the world. You're not a sinner. You are now a saint. And not just that. You are not just an ordinary person in the world. You are now a son of God. You are co with me. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you. You are a son of God. So you know what? Now you can look up to heaven and you can talk directly. You can approach God. You can cry out, Abba, Father. Yes. You can ask the the Father anything in my name. He will do it for you. Now, by saying that, a lot of people sort of misunderstand that, thinking they can take foolish and stupid requests before God and say, in Jesus' name. Like, you know, in Jesus' name, where to me, you know, representative of Abracadabra, the magicians say, and things appear. No, it doesn't work that way. The name of Jesus is not a magic potion or a magic word. When Jesus said, you ask anything in my name, it means you ask things. Your prayer is in line with my will for you. And if you don't know what that is, when you, if you really have a sincere relationship with Christ, if you really have a sincere relationship with Christ... You will know what that is because you will not go before God and offer stupid prayers about how you think you need a bigger car because the pagans are driving all the big cars and you know, as a child of the kingdom, I really should be financially endowed so that I can serve you well and if you give me all that money, I'll build you a church. God don't need you to build anything for him. We've got nothing to offer. Stop trying to make deals with God. It is so childish, it is so stupid and it is futile. I hear that all the time. People make it trying to make deals with God. When the Lord does this for me, if the Lord does that for me, I will do this for the Lord. You've got nothing, nothing to bribe God with. You've got nothing to tempt Him with. So, having come to that, when you ask, when you pray, when a true believer prays, it's a beautiful thing. Because they are asking the Lord, show me your will. Renew me. Strengthen me to do that which I need to do. Open doors for me to proclaim your glory. Lord, Take away from me everything that offends you. In my thoughts, in my words, in the things I do. Lord, take away from me every association that does not bring you glory. That is the sort of believer's prayer. Make away from me. Watch over your saints, Lord. Strengthen them in times of trial, no matter what I go through. It's fantastic. When I heard a 10-year-old pray in the church I lead, and a 10-year-old is praying to, Lord, uh, to God, saying, Father... I pray that you strengthen us all, and all who call on your name in spirit and in truth, that in our hour of trial, no matter what, we may not deny you. When I heard a child pray that the first time, I opened my eyes to see exactly who it was saying that. It's amazing. You you can't even hear that from from 65-year-olds in most places. You know, so having come to the realization of what the Lord has done, now you don't now say the believer. I was now saying I'm, I'm still talking now about uh, the the mystery of godliness. You don't now say to Christ now, give me this, and I claim this, and I name that, and I want this. No, 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 no. Your your words change. That's what you used to be. That's how you used to pray. That's how you used to think. Now it's a question of so, Lord, what would you have me do, Lord? What can I do for you, Lord? What do you want me to say, Lord? Where do you want me to be? And you know what? That zeal, that deep passion and affection for Christ, that deep and sincere love for God is unaffected by prevailing circumstances in the world. It wouldn't matter whether you've got money in your pocket or not. It wouldn't matter whether you own a car or not. It wouldn't matter whether you're in a sick bed or not. It wouldn't matter whether you you own houses and lands or not. No, these things just don't mean a thing all you want to do you are so eager and for you it's a pleasure to want to please god always because you know that you spent your life before you were ransomed you spent your life offending him now you're trying to make up for him not that we can make it up to him ever because our sins are so good grief boy you know the psalmist said in psalm 130 if you o lord should mark iniquity who can stand or who shall stand i'll be the first fallen one so, we can never make it up, but you are eager now to be a delight in God's eyes. You are eager to make him happy. You are eager, not that he's saddened by not, not that he's sad, but we hurt him because he feels that's why we feel He imparted his, his divine nature unto us. that's why we can we, we have feelings, so yes, we do hurt him. He's our Creator, and when we walk against him and say, "I don't care about you, God, I do what I want. I am God in this particular temple. You are contending for his sovereignty. Now, we hurt God when we do that, and you know what? Eventually, he's going to cut us to size if we carry on like that. And that's what we know as the judgment. You know, either either a person leaves this world when God says, Okay, time up, you've had enough, that's it, come come back, and come and give account of what you did with your life. Or Jesus comes back. Let's put aside Jesus' return for a minute, because we don't know when that's going to be. Well, I tell you, what's always imminent is our departure from this world yes because if we're going to say uh, we're waiting for Jesus to come like uh, we have this coffers during the time of Peter saying oh where's this coming back you know, you, know it keeps, the, you preachers keep carrying on about Jesus is coming Jesus is coming people say it in this age as well yeah 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 Jesus is coming that's what you've been saying it's been like that everything's carried on from the days of our forefathers you people are disillusioned Jesus is coming forget about that for a second To believers, that is important. I look forward to it. I mean, I would love to see His Majesty come down. But, if He wants me up there before then, well, that's exactly what's going to happen. So I think it is imperative for us to be prepared always. You prepare for your personal meeting with your Maker. Oh yes, by getting your relationship with the Lord right. You prepare for your personal relationship with the Maker. Because that can happen any second. That can happen in this present buddies, we live a finite life we live a finite life it's going to come to an end at some stage believers must be prepared that's why i can never understand for the life of me believers who get all anxious and worried and restless when they're ill They're rain all over the place going to every possible healing and miracle crusades possible and these things are usually run by imposters they're usually run by imposters that you're a christian doesn't mean you won't be sick Because we've been told that this body we have is wound to fill. It was raised out of dust. We were promised an immortal body. You cannot have that until, until you see the Lord. So what? I mean, if anything, you should be more eager to see the Lord. But no, when you come to fall in love with this world, which is exactly where we're going with this whole thing, because I'm talking about the believers' battle. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. If you truly been sealed with the Holy Spirit, you will find that you have you, you will, would lose your affection for the world, and your affections would be on for Christ, for God, for heaven. But no, people love this world, and so Paul, who in Ephesians tells us about, we have been been sealed, you know, so that um, until our redemption. Because we are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. He carries on and tells us, gives us a warning in chapter 6 of Ephesians. Telling us that we should put on the full armor of God so that we will be able to stand against the devil's schemes because it says we struggle not against flesh and blood so forget about right. You know, giving your mother-in-law or your uncle or your dead grandmother dirty and filthy looks and thinking evil thoughts about people who false prophets and, and, and rogue traders in Christianity are telling you are your enemies they're always speaking out enemies for you all over the place we're told to live a life of love they're helping you develop hatred towards people innocent people anyway because how one fellow man can sit down there and tell you this other person has got witchcraft by which they're affecting you? I don't know. And do you believe it? So you're forming enemies all over your family and all over your friends when you're supposed to be living in love and loving everyone. Even if you were be able to identify your enemies, did Christ say you should avenge them? No, he didn't. He said, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. That's the instruction we have. That's the command we have. But no. You this ridiculous people who, who 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 tout themselves as servants of God, these angels of darkness, people have lost lost every sensitivity to the truth of Christ. And we are warned severally in the scripture about the coming of the lawless one, the coming of the Antichrist, the evil ones amongst us, false teachers, false preachers. They come under every kind of title. They are there gathering crowds after themselves. And you know what really, really disgusts me? Every now and then when God unmasks these enemies of the gospel and they are found in most of the times usually some sexual depravity thing or the other and they are caught out and discovered. Human beings, foolish as they are, rather than acknowledge that God has just unmasked one of the imposters in his kingdom will make excuses for them oh is the enemy rose against my pastor is the enemy did that is the enemy's work oh yes oh it doesn't matter what he's done oh, I'm just going to continue because you know God has said thou shalt not judge don't be stupid open your eyes so you credit God's r- work of exposing his enemies to the devil I don't know what kind of sin that constitutes but it can't be good Satan's. I mean, Paul said, We need to be able to put on the full armor of God so that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. The devil's schemes are all over the place. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He ensnares you with the affairs of the world. So you look at a person, just because he controls hundreds of thousands of crowds... As far as we're concerned, oh yes, he's a man of God. He's definitely a man of God. Look at at his following. Look at his followership. He's very rich. He's very wealthy. Yeah, God is blessing him definitely. He's a servant of God. So it doesn't matter. Even if they catch him in all the homosexual affairs of abusing the the, the members of his church, the, the, the young members of this church, like most recently, the latest one is Eddie Long. Why would a person, why would they settle out of court? He was going to fight this thing in court. If it was a false allegation, he would go all the way to court. I would never pay a person a penny in compensation for something I have not done. No, in December he settled these boys, these young men, out of court. I'm sorry, to me that's an admission of guilt. Why should any servant of God be caught in such foolishness? Peter says to us, if you are caught in anything, if you suffer, let it not be as criminals if you suffer. None of the apostles were ever caught in any criminal activities but today christian leaders are plagued well professing christian leaders because these people do not really do not belong to christ they don't care what the world's opinion is god does not look at people the way we do they are plagued with all kinds of scandals sexual scandals financial fraud scandals all kind, all those ridiculous things in Africa, they've been caught in all kinds of voodoo exploits and black magic things and sorcery. And the people will say, no, oh, no, no, we can't judge a man of God. Shut up! Who's a man of God? Servants of God should be faultless, blameless. I'm not saying they're perfect. But I'm sorry, there are certain things that simply cannot be caught in because they know the Lord. There's certain things that regular Christians shouldn't even be caught in because they've come to know the Lord. We said we should be able to stand against the devil's schemes. But no, are you able to? Because the devil's keeping all over the place. And you know what? Now he's, he's in the church now. He's in the church. That's where he is now. He's got his army of false teachers and false servants there to bring the name of Christ and the message of the gospel to disrepute. And they're doing a good job. But the irony of it is, those of you who follow this, guys, they cannot lead you to heaven because they do not belong to heaven. They do not know the way there. All this is going to end up. Everybody following them, along with the leaders, are going to hell. That's how it is. You cannot. Jesus said, a bad tree cannot be a good fruit. We keep this up the next time I'm on because there's a lot to talk about concerning this. There's still so much to explore concerning false teachers and false doctrines.